Hi, great to be back safe and sound after a few days in Vegas at the G League Showcase and also sitting in my hotel room because I was sick. And networking can be very difficult when you're constantly blowing your nose. But nonetheless, I got some good tidbits out of that for you guys. Where I think we should start, though, is with the media circus surrounding the idea that Anthony Davis wants to go play with LeBron on the Lakers. Just to wrap up a, a little bit, LeBron with a very pointed leak to Dave McMenamin that he would love to play with Anthony Davis. And he then, after the game, attempted to obfuscate it like, oh, I'd love to play with any great player. Uh, but yeah, you also specifically decided to mention him two days before he was going to be playing there on national TV. And then as part of more of a, what appeared to just be a very calculated media strategy you recall of course that ad has joined forces with clutch sports and rich paul james's agent and childhood friend thursday sam amick reporting almost certainly you would imagine from rich paul that the money available on the supermax is very unlikely to affect ad's decision and in theory he can get a ton more money guaranteed through the supermax right he can get 35 percent of the salary cap as a starting salary in the summer of 2020 it'd be about a five-year 240 million dollar deal and when you consider the extra guaranteed year that he could get and that his salary would be basically five percent higher five percent of the salary cap higher i should say in each of those five years that works out to a very significant chunk of change in, in the range of 80 million dollars but for a guy who's as young as ad and really a true top five player you know we're not talking about a john wall oh you just happen to make all nba this one year the risk is pretty low for him and the thought would also be that he's gonna try to follow james's playbook and maybe shorter term contracts maximize your money over time he's one of the few players despite maybe a little more ample injury history but nothing major who is good enough to pursue that strategy and eric pinkus had a really nice piece i recommend you read about how if ad goes to the lakers this summer they could renegotiate and extend him or even just a normal extension it would be pretty close and then he could do an opt-out and get within about 20 million dollars or so over time it wouldn't all be guaranteed right now but over time with what he would get with uh, that supermax so then chris haynes another guy who's had a, a line into lebron's camp over the years reports that ad and lebron had dinner on friday after the game after lebron's defiant anti or or statement that he's within the rules and he can say whatever he wants to say and no one can stop him which i applaud him saying that he's absolutely correct and haynes laid out basically what the usual playbook is which is that if ad gets traded anywhere other than the lakers he will say i'm not going to re-sign there and i do trust that rich paul can play this game a little bit better than Kawhi leonard's representation to get him to the place where he likely wants to go which i mean with all these leaks you would have to conclude don't you danny that at this point it seems pretty clear that davis would like to be in la i think that's the proper way to interpret it i've been trying to place this you know i wrote independently of sam's piece i wrote my own ad piece for the athletic this past week about why he to me is the most important person in the 2019 offseason and a lot of that was about timing because not only for the pelicans because he what he says and and when he says it will affect their willingness to pay their own free agents other free agents all sorts of stuff with their because they have so much uncertainty other than drew holiday but also for all of these other teams the lakers being among them and davis can do a lot to affect both his immediate destination and his final destination. Kyrie is a good example here. You know, Kyrie affected the teams that were that the Cavs could negotiate with by basically not expressing a willingness to re-sign other places. And so then 
if teams are treating him and he had two years left, if teams are treating him as a rental, then they're going to offer less. And that functionally, then that makes the other team's offers comparatively better. Now, at the time, we thought Boston's offer was strong. It ended up becoming weaker due to what happened. But I think that Davis, the so I'm kind of trying to piece in my head the different things that players can say. So obviously, the top of the list in terms of like leverage impact, all that is is a trade demand. This is not that. Then the step below that would be something like what Jimmy Butler reportedly did to Thibodeau after last season, which is I'm not going to resign there. So then you're not demanding a trade, but a practical kind of more, you know, person with with a different set of incentives would go, oh, so we should trade this guy, you know, that sort of situation. And I would say that publicly getting it out there that the difference in money doesn't matter is probably a step below that. But it is still absolutely a signal, especially because that was the best thing New Orleans had in terms of an argument. I mean, they certainly have other ones. They're they're an intriguing team. We hope they're going to be a playoff team. He has connections with the area. He's been there his entire career. But the money was the the best chip. It was the you know it was the best thing they had they had going because all of those other arguments could potentially be better somewhere else. Whereas no one could offer the money. Well, and I joked about this with Ethan a couple of months ago when he was on the pod. But it really is true, right? It's like if you're a fan of one of the small market teams, where clearly New Orleans does not give AD the best chance to win. I think based on this season, based on how they defend when he's off the floor, you know they put together a pretty good team. I still think if everyone's healthy, they're a team that might do some damage. But they're not a championship favorite. They're not a, a favorite to make it to the conference finals. I would put the chances of AD winning a championship in New Orleans if he stays over the next five years as extremely low and probably extremely low to even make it to an NBA finals or a conference finals. And so basically what you're hoping as one of these uh, fans or small market organizations where you're not giving the guy the best chance to win is, well, we just hope he's really selfish and all he cares about is money. (laughs) That's like, (laughs) let's just hope, let's just hope he doesn't really care about winning and all he wants to do is make money and then we can keep him. (laughs) It's like, yeah you know it's uh well that's your best argument even with the supermax it's kind of tough and so the supermax has continued to really kind of be a bust i mean the the only guys that it's made uh, that have accepted it have been either guys who instantly became a bad contract in john wall or guys who almost certainly were going to stay there anyway in westbrook harden and curry everyone else either teams haven't wanted to pay that supermax or uh, like with Kawhi, it hasn't really been that big of a deal so yeah well I want to I want to make a point there that I forgot when I was talking about this with Tim Bontemps uh, for Real Jam Radio, which came out on Sunday morning. That as much as the su- some see some people have been framing this in the supermax as a bust, but think about it as a point of clarification. Like for example, with Paul George, if the Pacers hadn't really had that conversation with Paul George, then maybe they wouldn't have traded him. Maybe they would have held on to him and seen where things were going. Where so like in Kawhi Leonard's case, it was pretty obvious. Okay, if you don't if you don't take this money or if it wasn't offered, we don't know which way that one went necessarily you have the conversation that teams should always be having and like let's say in kevin durant's case because it wasn't available then that situation is different because the thunder were so much better like it made sense for them unless the offers were ridiculous to just go for it and see if you could convince them to stay but i think that there is some weird value as long as teams can protect themselves from as like can 
be smart and not make bad decisions, which is too much to ask. And that's why the extension rules aren't looser. Well, it's very interesting that you say that, that at least one advantage of this is an inflection point. Pretty much every article that I've read on this has said, well, if he turns down the Supermax, they're going to have to trade him. And I agree that would certainly be what any smart organization would do. In fact, I think if they aren't going to make the playoffs this year, or even if they're, you know, looking at being the eighth seed or something, they should probably try to move him at the trade deadline. And we can talk more about this later. I think that might be part of the reason why this all is getting leaked now the other reason being because james and his team are very media savvy and with ad about to play there for that friday night game on national tv this was the perfect time to kick up the press engine the pels i think are a weird enough organization that i don't know how they're going to handle this i mean they have from the moment ad got there been about trying to win immediately right now this year and that's probably why you know i mean if you go back to why they're likely to lose ad you can and when he does get traded i'm sure we'll do a post mortem on this but you can go back to decisions that were made very early in ad's tenure and you know as it turns out i mean it's not even to say that the pelicans have done some incredibly terrible job around him i mean i think just as an organization the injuries not getting up to speed with the medical staff for years and maybe still not you know they haven't done a great job i think they've made some good decisions these last couple of years but you know i mean i think generally if a player who's like a top five player wants to give himself the best chance to win he generally is probably going to leave after seven or eight years because even with that type of player building a real great championship contender is difficult right but you know when you get eight years of a chance to do it that probably seems like enough to me frankly or set or seven years as we talked about but getting back to the pels they have fastidiously emphasized the year that's in front of them i think number one given their history given that gail benson now owns the team given that mickey loomis uh, who does not have experience with these types of trades and players having this type of power in football which also football is very and if you look at how the saints have been run they've been run the same way right uh where they've been in cap hell for a long time they've always been trying to win that year and you know with drew Brees on your team that makes a little more sense but nonetheless gail benson mickey loomis and then Dell demps who's always trying to save his job I don't think he feels like he's going to do that by making a great AD trade. It wouldn't shock me. I mean, I'm not, I still think it's more likely than not that he's not on the team next year, but I'm not treating that as like an absolute for sure given that they will move him or that they won't have just some completely crazy asking price this summer. And then also, I think they are very, very likely to be looking for a package more like what the Spurs got that's going to keep them pseudo competitive and, you know, let them pretend to chase the AC every year instead of just getting future assets. And that to me, you know, unless these Lakers prospects really take a big step forward, that makes it a little difficult to get him traded to the Lakers if that's what they're looking for. It could. I think that there are a couple different pieces. I, the point that you make is is well-founded, and that is why I believe that there's basically no reasonable scenario where they trade him this season. You know, because the Pelicans are going to be close enough where... Well, uh, let me ask you this you real know, quick uh, on that point. Do you think that all of this media blitz recently is an effort to try and get him traded this season? you think that's what this is? I think that's a part of it. it. It might not be the only motivation there. It could be just thinking about it and everything like that. But another element of that is that from a functional perspective, and this was one of the things I contributed to Sam's piece, though this is not like a secret piece of information, that Anthony Davis cannot be traded to the Boston Celtics unless they move Kyrie Irving. It's this weird nuance of the designated rookie rules where you can have two players signed to those contracts, but you cannot have acquired both of them via trade. 
So next year, Kyrie Irving will not be on that contract. So so then it wouldn't violate the rules to bring in Anthony Davis. However, they can't have both of those keys turned at the same time right now. So not having Boston as available until next until next league year, I think that really reduces New Orleans negotiation leverage as well, because Boston has the best asset base of, of any team that we think could be in the Derby. Now, Anthony Davis can reduce Danny Ainge's willingness to give up said assets by saying through his representation or whatever that I'm not going to resign with you if you want to pay for a rental you could you're allowed to do that that could happen and maybe that lowers their offer enough that the lakers one looks better but that gets into something that you were talking about which is if new orleans has a high price and won't budge from it and the lakers can't meet that or won't or whatever then we could get into this protracted situation where the pelicans aren't seeing as much of a downside especially if anthony davis isn't willing to pull something like what jimmy butler did where it's really affecting the team on the court And, and i don't think he will do that i mean i think he does respect the organization and i think i mean he certainly has continued to play hard while he's there i don't know that he has that type of fire in him to just do a giant fuck you to the entire organization the way that butler did so yeah i mean i think that's why he's kind of that's why he hired rich paul you know i think he he understands that he's going to need to move on and, and he made the he also made a number of comments about like how legacy is more important than money as well so i do think that that's unlikely though that he would just like be a major problem the other thing i mean you mentioned this right so with boston out of the running right now and then when you're trading him in the summer of 2019 you know how much are you really going to get when he can be a free agent the following year anyway and you know maybe new orleans will start to play where they're 15 and 18 right now and they just continue to have all these injury problems but if i'm another team let's say oh god i don't know like a portland or something um maybe i'm gonna try to ready an offer for, at this year's trade deadline with like you know a cj mccollum type of player a guy who you know, they could say hey we're really getting something back and then yeah maybe ad doesn't want to stay there you might try to make the argument to him he probably ends up leaving in a year and a half but you can get maybe into decent contention or make a couple of conference finals if you get ad and then he ends up leaving perhaps you know i mean maybe even like a toronto could try to make an offer for him right i mean they have so many good young players at this well, point and and the and the other challenge is also this was something that we we dealt with with the Kawhi Leonard trade. You brought it up is what New Orleans values is important too. So maybe somebody like Aaron Gordon is a part of a sales pitch. Hey, he's young. He's going to get better. He can fit in with the guys we already have. Like there, there could be teams that just end up with what we would consider weird pieces to offer in an Anthony Davis trade, but you might as well bring it to New Orleans just in case that's what they want. Yeah. I mean, now I think, I don't think any team that, you know, Orlando, if they get AD, they'll, you know, make a couple of playoffs or something like, I don't see that, uh, that necessarily happening. But I think if it's a team where you can say, you know, one of these other West teams where it's like, Hey, you know what, we can be in the conference finals these next two years. And yeah, you know, we might have to give up our second best player and, you know, a draft pick or two, but we have a pretty good second best player. And you know, if that, that probably trumps the Lakers offer, right? I mean, if, if Portland puts CJ McCollum in the deal for New Orleans, if they're trying to win right now, like that probably beats any Lakers offer right there, right? So uh, now I, I would think the Lakers offer is better because their young guys do have some potential and they could throw in some draft picks and stuff and it'd be better for the franchise in the long term. But I highly doubt they're going to be thinking long term. And so, I mean, it's something we can think about a little bit more of like what teams could be dark horses to get in. And I also don't think that really under any circumstances, the Pels will trade AD this year. Like they're not going to be so far out of the playoff race. They'll at least try to like get in and just see if they can make some noise or whatever, uh, just play out the end game, even though it seems pretty much fait accompli at this point. 
Um, anything else that struck you about this situation that you wanted to remark on? Well, it's it's funny because when I wrote my piece, I talked about how what he told the Pelicans and when would affect their decision making with their own free agents. And I still wonder about that, even with the reporting that has come out since then about because this totally affects how many years you give Nikola Mirotic. Julius Randle has a player option. What are you willing to pay him? Are you going to use your cap space to do so? They Because they could kind of go either way with that. The, the Pelicans are dealing with this really weird offseason anyway. And one of the ideas that I kind of I, I hinted at in the piece, I didn't posit it, was that Davis could wait to see where the Pelicans were before deciding on his extension, which is similar to kind of what Russell Westbrook ended up doing when they got Paul George, they got Melo, and then he signed it after that, after the fact. And it seems now like he's not going to wield that leverage to do that specific purpose. But it, it's a good example of just how many variables there are in this and how how much harder this is for the Pelicans if it if it drags on. Now, I think the most intuitive way that this happens is that they make it through the season and then starting before the draft, that's when things really start opening up. Maybe because they can have an understanding like AD can tell his, through his representation or whatever, can tell them in June, I'm not going to sign this. He can tell them whatever. And that might be how this happens because it's so much harder to do a trade like this, even if you're right that the Pelicans are looking long term. Once draft picks are made, it's so much harder. Like you can't trade like the 15th pick. You could trade uh, Sacramento's pick in the future or something like that. But it, that doesn't have as much cachet for the fan base, for the GM, for all those kind of things as, oh, we got the 15th pick and then bam, next week we're going to use it. So that window could be important. I'm not saying it is, but it could be, especially if certain teams are involved that might have more draft assets. Two more points here. Number one, Boston is really getting screwed right now by that designated player rule, which in fairness is working as intended. For once, one of these rules is working as intended. Although the intention uh, maybe you can say is a little weak and he's, he'll just end up somewhere else, right? If he's not going to get traded there. But, but, but to say, hey, you know what? You can't get these guys on designated player rookie extensions and then, you know, have them sign and just trade for them. We're just going to aggregate all these guys th- this way. Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, was to kind of protect these small market teams or i shouldn't even say small market teams i should say bad teams with with superstars who might lose these guys but i mean if boston could throw terry rosier into the deal if they could get two years of ad even before he could potentially leave and maybe he doesn't want to stay there but you could at least get two years of them they would probably be willing to give up a lot more now for him than they would in the summer. And they would have a a year and a half to sell him on their culture as well, get him some chemistry with Kyrie. So yeah, Boston is uh, being hurt by this. And, you know, Boston is really the only team that has the assets that AD could conceivably want to go to, though, again, it does seem like they are really pushing the Lakers at this point. But Boston is the only one with the assets that might make New Orleans say, hey, you know what? Let's just trade him now. This is an overwhelming offer. I don't see anybody else necessarily coming with that kind of an offer before the end of the season. But again, you know, we don't know what they want. And I, I don't necessarily think that they are going to value things in the same way that we would with their market considerations. Uh, speaking of which, Eric Pincus uh, talked to a GM who said, no way is New Orleans trading eight or paying 80s $4 million trade bonus if he gets traded next year. If he gets traded this year, that trade bonus uh, would be negligible. And if that's really, gonna be the sticking point on where he ends up going i mean that's that's pretty ridiculous you probably deserve to lose him if that's your 
your approach but you know, people have said hey if ad leaves like what's the point of basketball in new orleans well i mean they don't have a choice like he, they are very likely going to lose him and then you can try to stay relevant again but i mean this team nobody pays attention to this team even with ad now so what's the point of trying to stay relevant then uh when you're not even that relevant even with this great player so why not just try to build a team that could have more sustainable success? What did you think of the Derigure small market executives complained to Woj about the uh, LeBron's tampering? Well, I, I do think that there, in the more the GM circles, like there, there's there are lines and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I nearly wrote a whole segment of thing one time on actually in my book on the joe smith circumstance which is a very different form of tampering but player to player stuff the fundamental problem with it is i don't think you could ever police it enough to enforce it and maybe you could draw the line between public statements and private statements or something like that but i i don't it's when it's just a player i don't think even if it's a de facto gm or something like that i i don't think that there's really an an enforceable line like i can't figure out what it would be and it doesn't you know uh, was anthony davis not considering the los angeles lakers until lebron said oh it'd be great to have him on the team had lebron and anthony davis never discussed that even though they share an agency yeah, that's that's I mean, why it's it's, so it's, it's it's just it, it, it's I, I understand why it makes people uncomfortable, but it's more, you know, being having having an, a system that maybe people feel is unfair shoved in your face when the real problem is that they feel the system is unfair. And so I don't think that's a, a worthy way. It doesn't fix the quote unquote problem. So don't police it like it would. A couple of arguments are presented. One is like, why even have tempering rules? Like, well, if you're not going to enforce it, well, everyone knows what the rule is. It's not going to be enforced with players. So everyone's known that for a long time. So yeah, okay, if that's what it says in text in the league constitution, it's technically illegal. Okay, fine, but it's not like since LeBron and Wade and Bosch decided to team up Miami that everyone has known that it's not getting enforced with players. So everyone knows what the rule is. That's kind of a, a BS process argument that doesn't hold much weight to me. The other thing they're saying is like, oh, he's trying to put pressure on the New Orleans organization and throw them into chaos. And now they have to answer questions about this. Like, yeah, that's what happens when you have a great player and you've made the playoffs twice in his career. Yeah, you have to answer questions about what's going to happen to him. And LeBron James making these comments, yeah, it drew some more attention to it in the media. But like you said, that that didn't create the situation of him wanting to leave. If he didn't want to leave, then it would never be an issue. If they were making the conference finals every year, it would, well, it might still be an issue, but it would be less of an issue. So this is just, again, like if they were a good team and a good organization that he wanted to stay in, none of this would matter. Like it's the underlying fundamentals. The rest is just window dress. Like, oh, they have to answer questions about it. Oh, it's so hard to have to answer questions. Another difficult question to answer is what to get someone for a gift. There's actually still time if you're doing last minute Christmas shopping to get someone some tickets. I'm all into those experiential gifts. And even if it's Christmas Eve, you can still grab someone tickets off of SeatGeek where it's not complicated to buy tickets anymore. They put millions of tickets into one place, so you don't have to go to a bunch of different sites. And then they rank every ticket based on value, so you can easily find the seats you want for a price that you're willing to pay. Every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. I've used it many times, always been very happy with how easy it is to find the best value ticket in the area. I want to say you just look for that big dark green dot, click on it, and uh, release some endorphins when you see that it's the best price ticket in that section. If you haven't gotten started with SeatGeek yet, the way to do so is by downloading the SeatGeek app and enter promo code CAPSPACE today. And that CAPSPACE code will get you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. 
Easy Rubber Cap Space. So we talk about it all the time on the program. That's the Cap Space code for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets and let them know with that Cap Space code that you came from us. Well, we have a ton of news to get to here. We can weave in some stuff from the G League showcase as well. I want to just talk a little bit about some of the conversations that I had, some of the stuff that I saw there. I was able to see the players from the NBA uh, Global Youth Academies. They put together an all-star team of players uh, from those worldwide academies. It's not necessarily right now about all these academies having NBA prospects. Nobody that I saw like absolutely jumped out to me as like, oh man, this guy is a future NBA player. But there are a lot of college coaches that were there to see them play against some local high school teams. I shouldn't say local, actually, there's good national high school teams. And a lot of these guys left with some college scholarship offers. So even that, I mean, when you consider where these guys are coming from, that they're being developed by the NBA, you know, that's a good first step to say to these teams, national federations and to parents and kids who want to learn the game that, you know, there is a benefit to going here. You know, we're getting you at the very least a scholarship to an American university for a lot of people. That's a, a huge benefit. And to help develop uh, that talent so the hope is that eventually we're going to get nba players developed out of these academies but it, it seems like it's going well the guys played unselfishly a lot of them uh, you know showed off some pretty good english skills at least when it came uh, to basketball so it seems like a good first step uh, for these academies i asked around uh, of some of the guys in the g league that maybe could get called up and they kind of fall into two camps here one is just guys who could help a team on a roster spot right now. The other one is kind of more development guys. The development guys that were mentioned to me, uh, Dante Grantham, who played uh, last year at Syracuse and uh, suffered a knee injury and wasn't really in the draft process. And a lot of these guys are just kind of wings who are working on their shot but have the length and the physical tools. You know, think of kind of the Alfonso McKinney type. Of so Dante Grantham, uh, Cam Reynolds, who uh, went to Tulane, and uh, Julian Washburn were three of the guys that were mentioned to me. And then you've got the guys who could theoretically help an NBA team as a back of the roster guy Willie Reed although he has a, a domestic violence allegation hanging over his head and you know has never been known as the easiest guy to get along with John Jenkins the one game I saw him he didn't play very well but he's been just lighting it up uh, for Westchester in the G League he's had a number of stops in the NBA where he just hasn't been able to hit shots quite enough uh, with his physical profile but probably a guy who deserves another shot when you consider how bad a lot of the options are that's something else we can talk about too um Briante Weber was mentioned I mean I think he's another guy too who just to me I, I don't necessarily agree that he's someone I would focus on just because his offense has never come along he obviously is a great defensive player I was a little depressed overall though with just the level of play which is not a surprise I mean, we're up to 27 G League teams now you've also got some guys who are on two ways you've also got pretty much every team in the league except for a few utilizing all 15 roster slots and so the level of play in the G League just isn't as high as it used to be on a game-to-game -game basis. And I watched a lot of games, and usually, you know, you'll see guys who, even in a summer league setting, like I would say that summer league is, I mean, not in terms of like knowing the plays and stuff, but in terms of the level of talent is was much higher to me than the G League, just because there are, there are not that many, especially big guys, you know, like you're kind of down to like your Steven Zimmerlitman type of level with a lot of the big guys on these teams. And so you can say, hey, just sign a center out of the G League. There really just are not those guys. Uh, you know, and I talked to one team who was like, yeah, we've got an open two-way slot and we're just 
struggling to find someone that we even like enough to sign to a two-way right now. I mean, we'll probably do it just because there's no reason not to. It doesn't count against the cap, but someone that we even think has much potential, it's kind of like, you know, we're not finding someone. So there's, I mean, it's tough to fill out that many full rosters when there's 27 teams already and there's, you know, there's going to be 30, I would assume pretty soon. Well, it's something else that I didn't think about as much when the two-way contracts came in is that I think they're really unfavorable to those guys. Like if you think you can get an actual full NBA contract, because think about what a two-way signing it does. First of all, it can be unilaterally converted. And in many ways, that's a better scenario than a lot of them, because if you're not converted and it's a one-year contract, then you're restricted free agent. And the only thing they have to offer is another two-way contract. So you're committing to that team having leverage over you for a lot longer. And it's not like they're getting paid so much on a two-way. You know, it doesn't count against the cap, so there's that benefit. So one way to fix this might actually be to pay those guys more so that we can just get more people over who, like, that's a better option compared to some of the other things that are on the table. Because right now, you know, there are certain guys who do it just because it's a foothold into the league. That's sort of an idea. But I don't know. I think making it more desirable would help. It might cost more money. It might not be worth it from a cost-benefit standpoint. But I don't know. It's just, it's just so restrictive that I can understand why certain guys would be reluctant to do it i also asked around because there are scouts from european teams who will come in and a lot of it too is just you know conducting business that's why we're we're all there is more to just talk to people but as some scouts uh, from european teams and some other guys uh, that i trust just about who are some of the european free agents that we might see signed in the summer you know guys along the lines of like a daniel tice or a joe ingles or a brad wanamaker or a shane larkin again didn't get a ton of guys that people were really excited about it at this point in time i mean there's still you know nando decolo if he's ever going to come over i mean he's probably still one of the better players in europe he was mentioned to me uh, i believe the raptors still hold his restricted rights assuming they've been making him qualifying offers through this i believe they have been yeah uh axel tupan you, you may remember has had some cups of coffee has put on a little bit of weight supposedly has a little bit better of an attitude and he's a guy who has some nba athleticism if his shot comes around he's someone who might get a, a, another chance in theory casa slukas uh Greek combo guard he's mentioned as just a really smart player not a great athlete but lefty shooter someone who maybe could make a spot in the league but you know he's one of these guys who has a pretty good gig in Europe right now and you know whether he would want to come over is unclear to me uh cory higgins is taught to me as a and these are not guys that i've seen a ton of personally i'm more repeating here from just what i heard but a guy is a two-way player on the wing and athlete um i also just asked people who watch a lot of g league executives just how the rules changes have been you'll recall that the g league has put in experimental rules this year on transition take fouls the dreaded euro foul and what that rule is supposed to be is that when a defender does not make a play on the ball against an offensive player who has the ball or has just released a pass during a transition scoring opportunity but it's less than a clear path file then you can you get one free throw in the ball no one i talked to could even like remember very many times that it they're watching a game and it had affected the game much now i suppose that's a good thing that maybe it's just the euro files getting legislated out but generally those kind of bullshit strategies you know you see it with the offensive guys too they kind of 
James Harden, Chris Paul, Lou Williams type of foul drawing stuff. And there's many other players who do that as well, obviously. You don't see much of that in the G League either. So it may just be that that wasn't happening that much to begin with. But they didn't really have much to say on, on how that's working out, which was disappointing me because I hope that that gets implemented in the, in the NBA post-haste. But maybe maybe the fact that they haven't had to call it that much is actually a good thing and means that we will see it more in the NBA. Because if they're not calling it, then it's had the intended effect. Yeah, I mean, that the goal is to affect behavior, whether it's through calls or through not having the fouls occur in the first place. And then the last thing I asked about too, which people again didn't really have a, a ton to add on, was you know is there new stuff coaching wise that we're seeing in the G League stuff that could make its way up? You know, the G League has probably been more of a switching league than the NBA, for example, for a long time. But obviously that's not new anymore. And again, I didn't hear a ton there. So if any of you guys watch the G League a lot, you want to hit me up with a tweet at Nate Duncan NBA. Let me know about some of the trends that you're seeing that are maybe kind of new things compared to the NBA. That would be fantastic. Um, so we. Get Get to some news here. Yeah, I want to start with the Houston Rockets because it's been a an eventful week for them. Chris Paul was going for a loose ball, suffered a left grade two hamstring sprain. Strain? Sprain. Strain. Yes. Muscle, strain. Muscles do not get sprained. Uh, ligaments get That's sprained. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so he'll be reevaluated in two weeks. And that is, you know, important considering how the Rockets have relied so much on Chris Paul and James Harden this year. And according to Bobby Marks, this is Chris Paul's ninth hamstring injury since 2012, which is a lot. Yeah, most of the time it has been his left hamstring and the play on which he injured, he was in transition, dribble kind of got away from him a little bit, and then he had to accelerate to go after the loose ball. And that's when you'll see a lot of these hamstring injuries occur is when a guy is really trying to accelerate in a straight line, usually at an unexpected time where his body isn't kind of girded to have to explode and so i mean this is a concern i mean i think you can argue that maybe part of why chris hasn't played as well this year has been that he's he's missed time already with the hamstring this year he also had the sore knee but when you're coming off this hamstring injury you don't want to explode full speed a lot of times and when he's under control with the ball in his hands you can kind of not do that as much but when you're just trying to react to a loose ball I think he did that same thing with James Ennis when he re-injured his right hamstring and he's still probably going to miss another week or so you would imagine that's how he hurt his was trying to go after a loose ball as well the Rockets also yeah go ahead sorry well I was going to say good news because they they hired the most beloved potential reinforcement for Chris Paul not only for this time but I guess for the rest of the season because it's fully guaranteed yeah I had joked that yeah you know Chris and Austin don't get along but he's going to be out two or three weeks so maybe Austin's contract is not guaranteed and they'll just cut him as soon as cp comes back but no it is in fact guaranteed which uh, I, I assumed it was that, that was more of a joke but uh yeah they had waived Zo- uh joe chi already which is interesting uh that they weren't able to just trade him first with a little bit of cash and then have that team cut him so that they could at least get what they paid him already off of their books for the taxes here. Uh, but his contract was not guaranteed, so they're going to save uh, some cash, which obviously with Rivers signing, uh, they won't be saving anymore. Um and for Jochi, Daryl had talked him up as being the best Chinese player since Yao, and that may actually have been the case, although at least he was able to play in the league for a little longer. But I, th- I think for Jochi, he was just, he could shoot the ball and he could block shots. And that was like literally all he could do. He couldn't jump around the rim. He couldn't really move his feet. And I think he also really was hampered by injuries a lot as well. And so with the where they are right now, they just couldn't afford to carry a roster spot on a, another big guy who wasn't going to be able to contribute. So they had to move on 
want it from him. Do you think Rivers will help them? I do. They need players who can capably defend at the guard positions. And Rivers had apparently talked earlier this season, Fred Katz discussed this today, about how his game kind of fits in with that analytics. He doesn't, you know, with where he takes his shots, even though he's not a, the best finisher at the rim, just where what he does. And oh yeah, I think Rivers is a reasonable fit. Capable guard play is important in the league. And remember, like we talked about with Joe Shee, that they needed rush spots. They're still using one on Carmelo Anthony. So it's another, and Brandon Knight has come back. I haven't been able to watch too much of him yet to get a feel for, for how he's looking. But capable play, especially with Chris Paul out, but overall is something that can help the Rockets. And worse comes to worse, unless there's some sort of stronger understanding involved, if he doesn't deliver, they can cut him and get somebody else on the buyout market. Yeah, although they will uh, have to pay him uh, still, which would be a negative. But yeah, I mean, I think he could probably give them more than Knight. Knight has been limited pretty much just to spot-up shooting since his return, and obviously he's been out for such a long time. I'm not going to say that he's not going to get better, but his defense didn't really impress me in in that Miami game either, and he hasn't been doing anything other than uh, shooting spot-ups. I did like that they at least gave him a difficult shot, uh, ran a play for him to shoot a three coming off a, a little Spain action that was good, uh, you know, on the move, tough shot. So there's uh, some little things to, to like from him so far, but, you know, still after so much time that he's missed and the fact that he wasn't effective the year before his injury, hard to count at him. And I think Rivers has a little higher established level of play, especially on defense, I think. And Rivers has experience guarding bigger players. He played the three a lot. So I think he can sw- switch, fit into their system a little bit better. What else we got here? Well, one other piece of Rockets news, they set an NBA record with 26 made threes. They were 26 of 55 in their win over the Wizards. And I'm not saying the D until they start playing it. And I think that it's just kind of one of those things that we were always waiting for it to happen again. The Warriors got close a, f- a few months ago. And I think the the Rockets, I think, got close a little while ago. Just with the massive increase in attempts, we're going to see this record fall and fall and fall. Though you have to make a bunch of them because we're getting, you know, 26 is a high enough number that you have to, you know, like they made about 50% of them in this game. Quickly out of Detroit, uh, Glenn Robinson the third. we mentioned his ankle sprain that he had sprained the same ankle that he had that procedure on last year that kept him out for a lot of the year. He's now out again uh, about two weeks. And then Henry Ellenson in a game that Blake Griffin missed. So he actually basically had to play immediately sprained his ankle and he's out a, a couple of weeks as well. So kind of too bad for him. He, the one chance he might've had to show a little something was taken away. What's going on in Denver right now? So Denver is still without their key key pieces. We have so Harris and Barton are starting to practice, but we but not in the point of like oh they're coming back right now anything like that. They're they're kind of in process. Paul Millsap is now out of a walking boot, but again that's a stage in the process with a broken toe, not all the way back. And then we haven't really heard anything on Isaiah in a while that we had heard to some point December before, but now we're a week before the end of December and nothing more substantive has come out. So they're making do. I would say better better than I expected, at least, without those guys. But it's still going to be a little while longer. In Dallas, Dennis Smith Jr. is doubtful for them tonight. He's already missed five straight with this left wrist that he keeps falling on it and injuring. Good, at least, that he was upgraded to doubtful, so he seems to be making some progress. And Luka Doncic took a hard fall into a courtside fan's chair uh, and missed the end of the game against the Warriors uh and he is questionable for tonight as well for Cleveland who are, are playing the Bulls today both teams with a lot of walking wounded Rodney Hood has missed some time with left Achilles soreness 
and you'll recall that he also missed time with that in april of last year and we've seen this pattern for a few guys where you know the achilles is something that just doesn't heal that well and it heals very slowly and once you get some soreness there it's hard to get it back right and you'll see sometimes these guys will have soreness for a long time and then they'll end up tearing it eventually or they'll just it'll really have to be managed the way we've seen it with mike conley hopefully that will not be the case for hood and then david nawaba He's doubtful against the Bulls with an ankle injury. When healthy, I think he's been one of Cleveland's best options at the power forward position, but he's really been set back a lot of times with injuries first in his Bulls career now with Cleveland. And then for the Bulls, Zach Levine is going to miss a further two to four weeks with that medial ankle sprain. Bobby Portis then injured his right ankle in the fourth quarter against Brooklyn, and he also will miss two to four weeks. He would obviously just come back from that grade two MCL strain. Chris Dunn sprained his ankle, but looks like he's going to not miss any time. And Cameron Payne has been out. He's missing time with a, a calf injury as well. We can move to Milwaukee. A couple interesting things from them. One on the court, the first couple on the court, Ersan Ilyasova had a broken nose in practice on December 16th. He is out indefinitely. They're hoping for 10 days and he'll come back with a mask, but we don't have anything more specific. At this point, Malcolm Brogdon missed two games with a hamstring issue. He's resting on back-to-back this weekend. And then the other piece, this is something we've been wondering about just kind of, I think that actually came up when we were talking about the trade that they made with Cleveland, that the NBA did grant the salary relief to the Bucks for Mirza Toledovic. And so Toledovic, they had already stretched his contract and it looked like the long-term injury exclusion was going to apply considering he's already retired due to an injury. And so this, since they stretched it, was structured as $3.5 million per season this year, 1920 and 2020-21. And now that money is completely off their books, kind of like, if you want to think about it this way, Miami with Chris Bosh. Yeah, they still have to pay him $3.5 million this year and then the next two years as well. But that now gets the Bucks up to about $40 million or so in cap space. And as you wrote a piece on, they basically have, what is it, about $65 million between their committed salary and the luxury tax to bring back four starters without paying the tax? Yeah, the number in the piece is 68.5, but then there are other things that can count into that. Like there, I, I don't think I included their draft pick for example yeah that would also include a waiver of george hill obviously and they have some salaries they could theoretically move as well Ilyasova, tony snell you know those guys make about 20 million combined got some other pieces but so much depends of course you know some non-guarantees but so much of course depends on how this season ends up and how these guys all play and, and what their market is going to be malcolm brogdon missed a couple games with a hamstring injury and then played against boston rested on the back-to-back which they lost in Miami. Minnesota, they were a feel-good story after trading Butler. They're not feeling too good anymore. They've played a lot of road games. They've been awful on the road. They got completely destroyed on Friday in San Antonio. Jeff Teague has been out with his left ankle injury, and he's going to be another 7 to 10 days there. Then Derek Rose, left ankle soreness, which he suffered periodically. He had to leave the San Antonio game questionable for their next game. Uh, Robert Covington missed time, including their game in Portland with a sore knee. He's back now, but certainly you could see how that'd be limiting his effectiveness. And unfortunately, after that great defensive performance since the trade, they are now bottom five in defense over their last 10 games. Yeesh. 
And with New Orleans, we talked about them a lot in the beginning, but we should update on their injury situation. Nikola Mirotic has missed four straight games. He is doubtful for Sunday's game against Sacramento. He is such an important part. And while Julio Okafor has had some nice offensive moments, Mirotic is just a better all-around player. And I also want to keep tabs on that. We're, we're, six, we're getting close to six weeks since Alfred Payton broke his pinky finger. Then they said it was going to be six weeks. He got up some shots in practice this week. And so maybe it'll be early January. And because their team is so shallow, getting Alfred Payton back would be very important yeah they've been starting uh, Tim Frazier for the Lakers we talked uh, about them as well Mike Beasley who has not really been a part of the rotation he's been away from the team most of the time the last couple weeks tending to his ailing mother JaVale McGee was quite ailing uh, himself in the hospital with pneumonia uh, for three days he got released but unclear whether when he's going to be able to make it back I should say and they've definitely missed him they've had to go to Mo Wagner who's not ready yet Tyson Chandler is probably, you know, really only at this point in his career, a 20, 24 minute a game guy. So they've had to go with some of those lineups that can't defend at all when they don't have a, a true center on the floor. Helping a little bit in theory is that Rondo and Ingram both returned. Ingram started, he played 33 minutes. I think all of them were played with LeBron. We talked about how maybe it makes more sense to have him as a creator. On the second unit, they did not go to that strategy. Uh, how did Rondo play in that game? Uh, I, I didn't see much of it myself. I know that the, they were getting propelled by their starters. He was negative 10 in 22 minutes, but I don't, I don't think I watched enough of that to say how he was looking. So uh, with him out, did they did they miss him? I mean, our prediction had been that they weren't really going to miss him at, at all. What did it look like uh, when he missed those seventeen games? Well, so they were ten and seven. That you could make an argument. I think that, and there were times in that stretch where they looked a lot better. You know, the, depending on where we're talking about within that seventeen games, twentieth in offense, seventh in defense, and eleventh in net rating. So I think they missed him a little bit, just having another another depth piece. But the challenge with Rondo was always using him correctly, and that's still going to be a problem. And part of the reason why they missed him was, well, you know, Lonzo had some good moments for sure, but his final line, nine points, five assists, 5.6 rebounds, but his field goal percentage was below 40%. And then he made 27% of his threes. And I still like Lonzo. We talked about this in the top 10 prospects pod, but I mean, we're, we're, we're reaching a point where, I mean, whether we're talking evaluating him for trade purposes or his fit with these guys, he's just going to have to make some damn shots. Yeah. And he has at least done that more at the rim. He's looked more explosive as the season has gone on. He's still very fast in a straight line. I still think he's going to be has a path to being a solid starter but again yeah the star level of player that door seems to be closing here and and in the half court i mean he really does very little you know he just hangs out and shoots spot ups essentially so if he can actually make those shots then he becomes a lot more valuable in memphis i saw dylan brooks working out before the game when they played in golden state last monday didn't look to be moving incredibly well he had a big brace on that knee that he suffered at an mcl spring with i'd be interested to see whether he wears the brace when he comes back usually guys do uh, when they come back from an mcl but he actually was upgraded to doubtful for today's game so he seems like he's getting a little close that'd be along the timetable chandler parsons only played the first four games of the year in which he actually looked okay but he's now been going through extensive workouts and and the, the thing seems to be that he's able to get into shape and come back and, and feel good and then you know when he really does play in games at full intensity that's when he starts to suffer that knee soreness again jamichael green is has a nagging hamstring injury he did play the other night and 
I guess he's playing through it, but you never feel great about a muscle injury and trying to play through it. So keep an eye out if he potentially re-injures that and it gets worse. And then Joakim Noah, another guy who hasn't played at all in a long time, he's now missed two straight with a, a heel injury. You'll see that a lot of times when guys come back and start playing big minutes right away that they can get injured you had some thoughts just uh, on what their overall structure has looked like this season yeah I just after seeing them last week and you know thinking about this team I was wondering about the Conley Gasol dynamic and I I love going into those things not knowing the answer you know I've watched enough of Memphis that I had a guess on this and that's why I looked into it so when Conley and Gasol have played together at, at the time I looked into it, it was 1600 possessions they have a plus 8.4 net rating fueled by a dominant defense so that's you know plus 8.4 is great then with just Conley negative four net rating offense drops defense gets worse you know normal stuff Conley without Gasol more negative because the offense just falls off a cliff they're eighth percentile in, in offense when Conley's on off the floor and Gasol is still on and then without both of those guys I talked about eighth percentile being bad in offense they dropped to third their offensive rating is 97.5 they have a negative 12 net rating and so my read on it and this is true from watching them as I have is that the story that we kind of expected at the beginning of the year is the case that when they have Conley and Gasol on the floor they're a really good team and so far of the competitive minutes they've had those guys on the floor for about 50 percent 53 percent to be specific if that proportion stays about the same I think they're a good team I think they're dangerous you know they can they can do really well but if that proportion starts shifting and drops then we start to get into danger zone and that it's not like it, the sky is falling or anything like that it's just that's what we've been watching and I'm thrilled that those guys have been healthy as much as they have so far this year but we'll have to keep an eye on it so when we will not be able to keep an eye on for a while is Goran Dragic in Miami he had knee surgery an arthroscopic procedure the precise nature of which was not released but he'd been dealing with knee soreness for some time did come back to try and play a couple of games but it appeared that that didn't work he so a lot of times you'll see this pattern where guys try to rehab it, try to get back in the lineup. It doesn't feel right. And then they have to go with the surgical option. There is hope that he could return by the all-star break. I am always skeptical of timelines after a knee surgery of less than two months, no matter how minor it is. Dion Waiters, though, has started going through practice. I think he's got a long way to go here, though. I mean, I would imagine still a couple of weeks of practicing fully before he could get back in the lineup. But if he's able to just give them some penetration, I mean, that's really what they need is he was such a part of that driving kick offense, getting to the basket and then setting up threes. I mean, they just need someone else who can do something out the dribble in the absence of Dragic. They at least have gotten Tyler Johnson back. He had a really nice game against Houston the other night. I thought he was a big part of their win. You know, he's not not really a guy who's going to run pick and roll and distribute but he can knock down shots and and he does make athletic plays he had this block of Harden after Harden blew by him that was unbelievable he just knocked his shot off the backboard Johnson is a, a fantastic athlete for New York Kristaps Porzingis' knee is healing well I don't know what that necessarily means uh he is now doing one-on-zero non-contact drills when did he injure it that was like it was like end of January right last year I think it was February 8th or February 6th it was something like okay. that okay yeah right around the trade put, deadline then i guess but yeah so it, he was shooting threes and dunking and one on zero work in a workout but you know i mean that would if that's what he's kind of just starting to do now you know you would say even if they're really trying to get him back as fast as possible that's like two months two and a half months and again you're sort of thinking <clears throat> 
it could get close to the point where he's just going to not necessarily want to play this season. And I mean, I think if I were him going into restricted free agency, it might also almost be better to just not play because you're going to just look bad. And so to just have the last memory be, here's how well he was playing before he got hurt. I think that that's, that might almost be better for his value. Yeah, there's absolutely a case for that. I mean, you, you have that strong memory in your back pocket if you don't think you can live up to that standard and the Knicks aren't really pushing for every win at that point, which they hopefully will not be, then might as well do what's best for him. For him. And it, and I think you can make an argument it benefits the Knicks as well, just to not avoid the you know the risk of him getting hurt again or something else. Yeah, and there's obviously still some repair that needs to be done there with between Chris Stapps and the team. One thing I talked about with some execs and agents at the showcase was the Alonzo Trier contract. And it seemed to be that the point you brought up, the idea that the same as the Ron Baker thing, which is what led to Baker getting that huge contract, was they were afraid that someone was going to offer him so much at that after one year because they wouldn't have bird rights on him. They would struggle to match or have to use cap space to match. And so that's why they decided to go in, the, in that direction of giving him that team option for next year. Everyone thought that Trier had done extremely well to get that amount of money for this year, the full BAE, but that, you know, it is going to put them in a little bit of a weird position next year of either declining the team option and then he's going to have this big qualifying offer, which would be 125% of what he made this year. So it's going to be a, in the $4 million range that he could just take if he wanted to. And so if they really are trying to sign free agents, that they would have to not give him that qualifying offer or just have some kind of a plan in place with him to potentially give him the room exception because if they use up all their cap space yeah he'll have a small cap hold but again they won't be able to exceed the cap to re-sign him above uh, that cap hold even if they pull his qualifying offer and say hey we're gonna just chill out we got a a plan here we'll pull your qualifying offer then we'll give you this unless they give him the room exception they don't have a way to pay him more assuming they use uh, more than the minimum assuming they use uh, all of their cap space uh, on someone else but uh, the consensus was that his agent did pretty well there and then mitchell robinson is out of a walking boot but will miss it at least another week with his sprained right ankle we can jump to sacramento marvin bagley is as of a few days ago is on crutches and he has a bone bruise in his left knee which occurred in a game i think i, I can't remember what it was a, it was a fall involving the warriors but i can't remember exactly who was involved in the play and they have to be patient with this. I mean, as as great of a season as the Kings are having, and Bagley was doing really well before he got hurt. You, bone bruises, it's just tough because a re-injury would just be a big problem, and it's it's very sensitive. So I hope they're very cautious with him. And they have they have other options in center, even if the other options at the backup five line are not as good as Marvin Bagley, probably. Yeah, and this is a summary, but bone bruise, like, oh, it's just a bruise. It's not that bad. You know, remember that Dwayne Wade, Derek Favors, like players have struggled a lot with these knee bone bruises and a bone bruise is basically like kind of a reaction in your bone that's on the way to being a fracture and so you really do have to give it time to heal and if you don't you're going to just continue to aggravate it for the spurs i saw lonnie walker play at the showcase for the austin spurs uh, he looked athletic as ever had some big blocks was playing hard had some athletic plays you know i didn't see a ton of finishing craft from him he gets up high around the rim he had one really nice finish. He kind of goes to his right every time when he's attacking the big in pick and roll. I didn't see a ton of the jump shot from him. I, I watched about three quarters of, of one of his games. But, I mean, good to see at least after that knee surgery, which was a, a second procedure on that knee. He had one, I think, before his freshman year that he still looked pretty good at athletics athletically so that was the number one thing i was looking for to see with him with the spurs playing better we may not see a lot of him at the big league level for some time here transitioning from san antonio to a former spur Kawhi still has not 
played in a back-to-back. The plan is to start doing that in January. It seemed like there was a possibility that it could happen in December, but he got an actual injury so that they, they couldn't they couldn't do it. And Serge Ibaka has missed three straight with swelling in his right knee, and he has dealt with knee issues in his past, so it makes sense to be com- insanely cautious with this because they're going to need Serge Ibaka in April, May, and hopefully June. Otto Porter has been out for some time here, may come back around Christmas with a grade two strain of his right vastus medialis. That is the muscle that's basically on the inside of the quad and goes down almost to the inside of the knee. Very important muscle in terms of being able to land it and react like that muscle really needs to fire to avoid injuring your knee. So that's one that they're going to presumably show some caution with. For the Sixers, uh, Elton Brand spoke on Saturday saying that he doesn't know if Marco Fultz is going to play again this season. And for me, reading between the lines on that, I think he act- that's definitely true that he doesn't know. And, and there's been talk that the Sixers aren't really that in control of that process. And that may be true. Of course, Fultz is working out with physical therapist Judy Sito in LA trying to work on that thoracic outlet syndrome. But supposedly the timeline was three to six weeks there. But my guess is part of why he doesn't know if he's going to play again is if the physical therapy doesn't work then based on what we've seen in baseball the next option may be surgery to relieve that with like removing the rib and all that nasty stuff that it sounded like you had to do in baseball and I don't know what the timeline would be there for a basketball player, but I'm guessing you don't come back in three weeks from getting your rib removed. Brand also discussed Zaire Smith's situation. Smith, of course, had that broken foot, then had an allergic reaction to some nuts, and he apparently had lost 25 pounds. And so he's not really doing any on-court stuff right now of any note. He's just trying to work out, regain that weight, just get back into where you know he can physically begin to be on a basketball court at NBA level. But Brand did say the that he will play at some point this year apparently smith doesn't have anything about getting rookie of the year in his shoe contract that would cause him to miss the entire season with a jones fracture but i i wouldn't expect smith to contribute a, a ton this year i mean he was kind of a raw prospect to begin with and so with all the stuff that he's been through which sounds like it's been pretty miserable it's tough to say that he's gonna give them much they could use some defense on the wing but i think he's gonna be too raw to provide that especially with all the missed time and then wilson chandler another guy who's perpetually been in and out of the lineup here he's got a left quad contusion now this is the second time he's had one he had another one in earlier in december and while he hasn't been amazingly effective this season he is a body that they can throw out there who at least in theory can make some shots and guard his position and uh, they don't have a ton of those uh, who can even pretend to defend the perimeter at this point in time outside of simmons and butler and one other thing i want to mention with philly we haven't talked about him much for logical reasons but justin Patton's still on the roster and we've been talking about depth issues with them for a long time, even before the Jimmy Butler trade, but that exacerbated it because they traded Sharich and Robert Covington in that deal. It might be that they're keeping Justin Patton around as salary filler. He makes $2.7 million. Certain trades could be facilitated with his money and Philly doesn't know what's coming, but they are losing a lot of potential value and you know guys that can help their team in the immediate when they need help in the immediate keeping him around. To that end, Jonah Bolden, who had played earlier in the week at the showcase in Vegas, was back with the team in really only his second game getting any time of minutes had four blocks that actually provided a lot of energy. The former Apple of our summer league eye has not been 
as good. He didn't do as much in summer league this year. And, but I mean, even to, to give them any type of athleticism and shot blocking and presence, you know, this team desperately needs anyone who can provide that level of play with Mike Muscala having to play at, at the four, you know, Bolden in theory could become a better option than him, at least defensively. But, you know, I wouldn't expect a lot of consistency uh, from Bolden at this point in time. What else we got? Let's go to Boston. So Aaron Baines had hand surgery. He is out four to six weeks and that has put more more pressure not that it's a problem for him necessarily on Daniel Tice because Tice is, is available but also because Al Horford had missed two straight with the sore knee but fortunately he is now probable to return in their game on Sunday against the Charlotte Hornets and he is starting that game so now we can say definitively that he is back but it'll be on a men's restriction yeah and they've been getting some contributions from Robert Williams Gershon Yavasele is back you know we think of him as a guy who's really going to help in the rotation and Williams as a rookie you know he, he's shown some flashes but to expect him to be a, a real quality rotation player might be asking a little much on an every game basis you know I think he's really more of a come in give you some energy in some games type of guy at this point so having Horford back is good but you imagine he's not going to play a ton of minutes with that knee tendonitis and Baines they are definitely going to miss as well it was pretty I think Baines didn't realize how badly he had hurt the hand initially he actually caught a pass and came down the lane for a dunk with his opposite hand and then gave someone a high five or I guess it was more of a low five with his left hand after the dunk when Phoenix called a timeout and then he looked down at his hand and he was like oh shit this really hurts <laughs> like it was because because I knew that he had broken broken the hand I was re-watching the game and so I saw where he broke it. And I was like, oh, he's still going to play. Oh, he's going to dunk it. His hand's broken. He's about to high five this guy. Oh, no, that's not going to be good for him. <laughs> it was it was really uh, – he, he's a tough guy, but he definitely was uh, was not enjoying himself after that. Um, Brooklyn, I talked to some execs and agents about the Spencer Dinwiddie extension. Most seemed to agree that it was a, a team-friendly deal, but also understood why it was that Dinwiddie would do it, having made less than $5 million before taxes in his career to date. Still can get back on the market at, at 20 27 as well and you know it generally seemed to be a thought that if he waited and continued playing with this he was going to make a lot more than that but number one he might be shooting a little over his head right now and he's had some injury concerns obviously the acl tear in college and with the nets trying to use cap space and any deal digging into their cap space he had to kind of offer them a pretty good deal a a good contract and by going the three years instead of four he's able to split the difference and maybe could get one massive deal if he keeps playing like this in a couple of years so i think that was one that was viewed as team friendly i think we've seen that largely other than kevin love and maybe correct me if i'm forgetting extension lou williams is another one with a very team friendly extension of eight million a year well yeah the the other one is larry nance somebody on kevin loves team well, well I, I, that, that's a rookie extension though i, I was sorry, oh I was thinking, you're talking veteran extensions yeah got i was it. thinking more of veteran extensions here yeah got it yeah, the, the rookie extensions, I think, are kind of a different animal because those are generally the teams have invested in the guy as a draft pick and he's viewed as someone who's going to really improve. Whereas veteran extensions, it's, it's kind of, there's a lot more of a feeling of risk mitigation there, both market risk and health risk. And so it seemed like for most players, there's going to have to be a, a fairly significant discount. I mean, another guy who might be an extension candidate is Marcus Morris, as well as he played this year. He's been out actually for Boston as well these last few games. I think they've really missed him in this three-game losing streak that necessitated a 36-minute team meeting after their loss to the Suns. I'm sorry, that was the Bucks actually. That was after they. But no leadership so. committee. I think we've we've uh, given Jim Boylan enough shit for uh, for one for for Fine. a couple of weeks here. Uh, <clears throat> 
Other news out of Brooklyn, uh, Alan Crabb has missed his sixth straight now with a sore knee. Uh, Ruddy and Kurix has been playing and playing reasonably well in his absence. Karis LeVert actually has progressed to, to doing a little bit of on-court work. He's on the schedule. He's not sprinting yet, but I mean, obviously seeing him doing that even after that gruesome injury is great to see. And then uh, Donovan Musa suffered a left shoulder subluxation he has not been in the rotation at all but no timeline yet for his return what else we got we have a new jersey sponsor indiana is now going to be sponsored by motorola we have not heard the terms yet of the contract but that adds that adds revenue and we'll see where it goes and tyreek evans is missing his second straight game on sunday he had his right knee drained on thursday we don't have a real timeline yet for when he's going to return that's troubling, perhaps also an indication of why he's struggled some this season, but he has often struggled with injuries in his career. It's certainly looking more and more like last year was quite the outlier for him. And in Atlanta, John Collins sprained his ankle during their win over the Knicks. The Knicks are getting waxed lately. They got killed by the Suns. They lost pretty handily to the Hawks. Both those games were at home. So they are on the path to being right in the conversation for the number one pick. Atlanta, tough matchup in Detroit today with Collins going to be out. Amari Spellman is also out, and they don't really have any power forwards to guard Blake Griffin. So I'd be curious to see uh, what they're going to do there. Last segment now, I wanted to talk a little bit about reaction to uh, our top 10 prospects list. I showed it to a lot of personnel evaluators that I talk to regularly that I trust at the showcase. Even so, there's probably going to be a little bit of group thinking that that's the weakness of this process is that generally guys who don't think the same as I do, you know, generally kind of the more X player, not as analytically focused executives. I don't talk to those guys quite as much. They're just less likely to listen to the show and, and less likely to know who I am and less likely to have formed a connection. I know some of those guys, but generally these are more guys who think kind of the way you and I do. But here were some of the comments we got. You'll recall that Luka Doncic was third at the, and this is my rankings here, but he was third on the list at the top of the second tier. The most common comment was that he actually should be moved up. He should be in the same tier with Towns and Jokic and, and had the highest upside maybe of anyone on the list. Jaron Jackson, I thought some people might say he should be a lot higher. That was not the case. Uh, you know, they thought he was number seven on the list at the top of tier three for me. They thought that was kind of about right. One of the big concerns about him right now is his defensive rebounding is really bad. And that's playing next to a guy in Marcus Soule, who's kind of been more of a box out guy anyway. And so if Jackson's going to play center, he's going to have to get a lot better on the defensive glass. That was one thing that was brought up to me. Jaron Fox, I had at number nine at the top of tier four. Another comment was that he should be a lot higher that, you know, someone said he could see him being the best point guard in the league in a few years and that's not impossible to me either i think the reason i showed a little bit more caution with him was just i think some of what he's doing is based on shooting that may be a little unsustainable if he puts in a whole year shooting the ball like this i think he will be a lot higher next year but i certainly understood that that comment of the, that he should be higher because he you know he's been absolutely fantastic this year unsurprisingly you know i, I had in tier four honorable mention and again to be very clear when you're saying that and my tier four overall was De'Aaron Fox, Jamal Murray, Jalen Braun, Dennis Smith, Devin Booker, Miles Turner, and Trey Young. What I'm saying there is that it's pretty much splitting hairs between those guys. I had to put them in some sort of an order, but you can make a good argument for any of them being higher within that tier was my thought. But Dennis Smith, was the, the thought was that he was too high, and he's been slowed down by injuries some this year. 
as I explained, my philosophy is that I value ultimate upside in these lists, maybe more than a lot of people do. That's the same reason why I had Trey Young in there. Based on what those guys have done so far, you know, they probably don't deserve to be in there. But because I feel they do have the upside, that's why I have them there, even though I think it's very likely if you're going to just even pick 75th percentile outcomes for them, that they're not going to be as good as the other guys in that tier. And then some people said that Devin Booker should be a little higher. That's not a surprise. We're lower on him than, than a lot of people are. But nobody's said oh my god this is ridiculous he should be in the top five you know there was an argument that maybe he should be in the seven to eight range and he's effectively you know he's in a tie for ninth essentially when we're with this list again it's splitting hairs between the ninth through 15th guys here so yeah there's an argument that he should be higher than some of the guys who are in his group but i don't think anyone was like oh yeah he should be way better than jackson or prozingas or or something like that uh so we're a little lower on him than the consensus seemed like but among those evaluators that i talked to booker despite the points and assists we just put up a lot of assists as a point guard this year wasn't deemed to kind of be in that next group of guys it was like a real future superstar i think an interesting point about booker too that i haven't made yet on this show is and danny you can chime in here i know i've talked for a while but can you remember the last player who was like a top 15 player in the league with his physical profile as you know pretty average length pretty average athleticism at the two guard you know i mean there's not that many guys that i can remember who were top 15 players in the league who had that type of physical profile well i mean iverson is one that i could think of well no no but but iverson is is like a a next level athlete though like he i I mean i'm talking about i'm talking about six five you know not really that quick not really that great of a leaper solid shooter but it's just and i mean at the point guard position i think it's it's a little bit different yeah um because there's a different set of there's a different set of skills that aren't necessarily as correlated with length and athleticism has as it's traditionally defined by running and jumping i mean they're there are different kinds of athleticism but yeah i i can't think of anybody it's also true that two guards unless they're just really dominant scorers don't always fit into that conversation and like DeRozan's a way better athlete than Devin Booker as well and we both probably wouldn't have ever had him in the top 15 i don't know maybe maybe wait for a brief period of time yeah, they, I think, yeah, DeRozan, no, I, I don't think I ever would have had him in the top 15. I think I had him maybe on an all-NBA team, but that's maybe because guard was a little bit weaker. Uh, but I think DeRozan is probably a, a pretty good comp for Booker in terms of his defensive limitations. Booker, a better three-point shooter, but DeRozan obviously much better at getting to the rim, getting to the foul line, and jumping. I think in terms of as a lateral athlete, though, you know, Booker and DeRozan are pretty similar. DeRozan is better in a straight line and obviously a better leaper at the basket and can jump more and, and get more separation on his shot but i think you know that's probably the closest comp to him i mean you could say maybe joe johnson would be another one but joe johnson certainly was never a top 15 type of player in the league i mean i think booker has a pretty high floor at this point that he's established that he can be a you know a solid league average scorer at, at a minimum for a while but again this list is about what you value and for me i value guys who have a chance to either number one get into really being a top 15 player in the nba or number two to be a really really good complimentary piece who's going to have very few weaknesses right that's what i might see as jaron jaron jackson jr or miles turner even porzingis as as like a turbocharged version of that when he's totally actualized more so whereas booker you know strikes me as the guy who's going to be you know can get your off 
offense to being kind of average or below average uh but and as a shooter maybe he can grow a little bit beyond that as more of an off-ball guy if we see him in a different environment but uh, again that's, that's some of the conversations that, that i had about him but and the biggest thing that gives me some fear about booker is that he's just so young that maybe you know he's been in the league long enough that maybe we're just basing it too much on what he's already done and not based on how he could grow but with his physical profile it's hard to see exactly where that growth is going to come from unless he just starts banging 40 percent from three all the time well i think the way that that growth comes is and i talked about this in the shooting guard rankings where i had him higher than you did is the idea of him doing more with the ball in his hands and so so far this year the suns have using cleaning glasses version of the number a 111 offensive rating when he's on the floor 111 in this in this climate is good but not ridiculous but it's I mean, also it's, a whole hell of a lot better than everything else yeah it's a damn sight better team. than uh than where they've been previously well and without him on the floor they're like a 95 but their their offense their the rest of their talent is is deficient that's something that you and i talked about it's why we weren't as yeah. rosy on them going into the season as other people were even though they've underperformed relative to my low expectations but yeah i i see a little bit more of it with booker and and his passing has been better and i always get a little bit queasy when people use assists and passing as the same thing they're they're different in a, in a couple of different ways but I, I think there is that potential with Booker offensively, defensively, if he could just try more, I think that would really make a difference. But yeah, it's, I mean, the the idea of basically for me, the theory of Devin Booker in a positive way, and I see this, I think I see this more than you do, is that his presence can make a team a pretty solid offense. Maybe not an elite, you know, maybe not like that crazy, you know, yeah, best, I, I think be, he's, like towards he's the best a floor the raiser. And I just, I don't put as much of a, of a benefit on floor raisers as. Yeah, see, I think he could be a little better than that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure of it yet, but I think there's an argument. And that's that's kind of why I think I had him seventh in my shooting guard rankings and you had him like ninth or something like that. And that was part of the logic behind it. Yeah. And obviously all this could change. This is this is hard to do. You can't be sure about this. He could end up being well, a, a, a really good player. But and, and that's another point that I want to make with this, because people always express their misgivings, and that's fine. I well a, a well reasoned, rational, non invective filled debate is is wonderful. That's part of what makes this I've been on both sides of that. I've been commenting on other people's articles before I was a writer. But what is important for people who listen to us is that if things change, and I'll, I'll speak for both of us, though, though it is, I, it is obviously I can only speak for myself, but I'm not invested in me saying Devin Booker wasn't going to be great. I'm not going to denigrate him for that. If he ends up becoming better, I will give him credit. It will grow. Victor Oladipo is a wonderful example of this. I didn't see this coming. I'm thrilled for him. I talk about it. You know, it, it is something that happened. Now, it is often true that the things that led to us not liking a player will lead to us being more skeptical if they're more successful. But you and I, I, I don't know if it's the legal training or just how we are as people. We are not wedded to our predispositions or our preliminary analysis if things change. If circumstances on the ground change, we're going to talk about the players as they are. Yeah, and certainly there's a, a idea which is probably accurate that if you have a pre-existing opinion, you're going to be a little bit slower to change it. And part of that is because... We've seen a lot of guys have really hot months or have unsustainable shooting or, or what have you. You know, if, if the Suns play 500 ball the rest of the season, I'm sure Devin Booker will be a big part of that. And my opinion on him will likely evolve. You know, they've won four out of five here. They had an overtime loss to a very depleted Wizards team, obviously, last night. But if they continue to play well when he's out there, then things will change. You know, I mean, he's also missed time. There's been some injuries. Anyway, I, I'm supposed to go on uh, a Suns podcast to uh, defend my thesis on Booker sometime pretty soon so that that'll be interesting um uh can I mention yeah. a couple of things before we get out uh so first and foremost NBA cast returns on Christmas morning 
Oh, yeah. Or depending on what time zone you're in, I think it's noon and three p.m. noon Pacific, three p.m. three p.m. Eastern for Rockets Thunder. Very excited about that. Adding some new bells and whistles, which is pretty exciting. Been working through that, so you'll be your first opportunity to see it. My Real Jam Radio podcast with Tim Bontemps. We focus more on the East because that's where he's based now with ESPN. That came out on Sunday morning, and I will have pieces throughout the week at the Athletic. They've been holding some of my stuff back because they have other things that are brewing. And so I think I might have three pieces coming out this week just on the national side. That's fantastic. And I can't wait for Christmas. That's when our next dunk done will be as well, wrapping up all of the Christmas games. And check out the NBA cast, please. Get away from your altos. You know you want to. Uh, follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Nate Duncan and NBA Periscope. Hoping to have it ready on YouTube as well. And we're going to experiment with it. It's going to be a process getting it done, but with doing some stats live during the game as well, doing some overlays. So we're gradually, because obviously we're not making any money off of that other than just the Patreon, patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue. But we're trying to gradually improve that product for you guys. And that will do it for today. Talk to you all in a couple days. Merry Christmas, everyone.